0: All right, on this episode of the Park Hills Podcast, we are going to do a quick review of the last part of Revelation. We did Revelation 1 through 11 before, and now this is Revelation 12 through 22 to kind of conclude the book. If you need more information about Park Hills or any of those things, go to parkhillschurch.com. idea that we brought up in the earlier review was that Revelation can be anchored a few different ways. And one of the ways you can anchor Revelation is by using the phrase, after this I saw, or after this I looked. And it's used in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 9, and go from there into chapter 12 and on. So it starts in chapter 7, verse 9, saying, After this I looked, and you begin to see this, this idea of a multitude worshiping God uh, under the throne, and just in the expanse of heaven, this these, these individuals are there, and they're protected by God now, and they're with him. And that leads us into a number of different ideas from chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 that all sort of build into this idea that God's judgment is beginning, God is pulling individuals, angelic beings, from their post, And as things are starting to progress, he is going to allow the world to eat itself alive, basically. And then on top of that, he's actually going to add to the judgment and do things his way. So this begins in chapter 12 with the woman and the dragon. So God has given the woman a child that is going to change the history of the world. And and as mentioned in the sermon, this is something that clearly is talking about the birth of Christ and from Christ who is the perfect representative of Israel and the perfect representative of Adam the one who we've been waiting for from the beginning of time the perfect man who stands in the place of human beings and does what needs to be done so that we might have salvation he births a group of individuals called the church at the end of chapter 12 And the dragon, who has been cast out of heaven, the this satan Satan figure, the satan, the the devil—all of those words are used of him in Revelation. He is cast out of the presence of the Lord, and now is is at war with the church, which explains to John's readers in the first century, and then all the way up to us today, why it feels like we are constantly bombarded with our faith, that we are constantly having to defend ourselves, constantly having to stand up for Jesus, even though the world. Uh, says it's nice about ideologies and things like that, but it clearly is against us, and we always feel like we're under fire, and this is why. Chapter 12 says the dragon is out to get us, and he's going to constantly be pushing back on us, which leads us into chapter 13, and there's two beasts that are introduced. The dragon sends one individual who is basically a strong political leader who's going to run the show, Uh, and the second beast is the religious-oriented... Leader that's attached to the other beast. So these two beasts start to run the show. And what's crazy is in the first century, these individuals sound a lot like the emperor and his priests. It sounds a lot like the fake emperor worship idea that you see in the first century. But what's even crazier is we've seen individuals throughout history follow in the lines of these beasts and do kind of the same thing. So when you get to the end of chapter 13 and it talks about the mark of the beast being 666. You have to notice that that's one under seven. And if seven is holy, 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 which is what you see with the seven bowls and trumpets and seals, or the, the fact that God is holy, 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 the idea that seven would be repeated three times shouldn't surprise us. The fact that six would be re- repeated three times means it's just less than perfection. Uh, it's, it's a human striving after what God wants to do. And so you might see... Uh, Nero in that number, or the emperor and the emperor worship cult, this, this thing that was created by the Romans to celebrate the emperor and who he is. You might see 666 in that and say, okay, that's all that is. But so clearly throughout history, there have been other individuals who have picked up that mantle and run with it. And as I said, our staff has under the impression that there is one coming who is going to fulfill this in a way that we haven't seen yet. And so when this individual, the final beast of all the beasts, so to speak, comes, it's going to be on a level that we just haven't seen yet. What's crazy is there's one other place in Scripture where 666 is used, and I'll let you do your homework to find out where that is, but I'll give you a guess that it's in the Old Testament. And when you locate it, I think you can start to connect the two numbers a little bit and realize what's happening and why that's significant. And if not, send me emails, and I'd be happy to do a little podcast on just that. Chapter 14, then, the Lamb and the 144,000 that have been sealed by God are celebrating what God has already done. And in chapter 14 as well, uh, we have three angels that begin to give woes to the earth and say, you need to pay attention, follow, don't don't go after Babylon, go after God. God is the only one who's worthy of being worshipped and being praised. And after those those messages, these three strong messages, then a harvest begins in the end of chapter fourteen, and the harvest of the earth is is sort of chopped up and and pulled. Uh, so the idea is God is God's judgment is beginning to be fully examined upon the earth and and uh, performed or exercised on the earth. This then follows with chapter fifteen, which is the beginning of the seven plagues. These angels come forward with these these bowls, and they're going to throw these bowls up in in the air. And as those uh, bowls are being introduced, God actually removes everyone from his presence. And the question is whether the angelic beings are moving back because they're terrified of the wrath of God or whether they're moving back just out of respect for him and whether God just wants to do this all by himself. But then in chapter 16, these bowls begin to be poured out. And the judgment that we've been talking about beginning in Revelation all the way through this point, are this is the, the judgment upon judgments. It is just bad. The, the world is completely destroyed. And one might see that there have been portions of history where certain of these things might have happened to a, on a lesser extent, but the idea here, I, I think of what John is pointing at, is that this is a, a completion. Uh, but at this point, when the bowls are poured out, there's no question, the, the world is finished, it's done, God's finished. So as the seventh bowl is, is passed out, uh, the kings of the earth have moved toward Jerusalem and are beginning to try to take on God in his final place which at the end of chapter 16, we call that Armageddon. Uh, they they move into a valley near a place called Har Megiddo, which is Megiddo is a town in Israel. And so as they're approaching uh, Jerusalem, the the final battle, so to speak, of the earth begins, which then leads us into kind of an interesting two chapters. Chapter 17 starts to talk about the great prostitute and the beast and attach Babylon, this thing, this idea, this scriptural idea of rebellion against God in human form. She uh, takes on the Lord in this way, and <clears throat> she loses, and the beast is now connected to her. And so there's this kind of crazy chapter that just talks about uh, the worship of her and and all that goes along, but There's going to be destruction that happens that that can't be fully handled by anyone on this planet, and anyone who's followed after Babylon is going to wish that they hadn't, which then leads to chapter 18, and this is another, after this I saw, in verse 1, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. So this bright angelic being comes down in chapter 18, verse 1, and then a song is sung about Babylon falling which really is pulling from so many different themes throughout all of of Scripture that Babylon, this beginning of rebellion against God, is now final. It's done. There's no more rebellion that's going to be allowed to happen. We're finished. And so all of the people of earth look at Babylon and weep and cry. This was the chapter that many people pulled out after 9-11 and talked about all the different connections here to uh, the t- the two towers in New York and and the harbors and all that sort of thing, I, we need to be careful to take anything like this and make it about us and realize that there's something much bigger happening here in Scripture. It might have applied a, in a portion to what is happening in America on that day, but America is not the center of the universe, and America is not the center of even the Scripture here in, in Revelation 18. So we just need to remember that this idea of Babylon is this theory, this idea, this this theme throughout all of scripture of the human rebellion against God. It began with a tower that was built in the plain of Shinar uh, in Babylon, and now Babylon has grown into her fullness, which at the time of John would have been uh, potentially Rome, also would have been potentially the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem who have crucified Christ. So there's, there's a lot of things happening. Anybody who's a leader, who's in charge, who is corrupt and doing something that's human or beastly, as opposed to being a new creation in God, they are all a part of this idea of this rebellion of Babylon. But in chapter 18, Babylon has fallen. There's nothing left, left of her. She's got no chance. She's got nothing else to do which moves us into the last transition of Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 1 says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude, and praise begins. And as praise begins, a marriage supper begins, and the rider on the white horse rides down, and his speaking ends the battle. It's over. There's no fight that actually needs to happen. The, The word of God speaks, and the word finishes it all off. And then he reigns for a 1,000 years, and then Satan is finally defeated after that, and the great white throne of judgment is placed in its spot, and everyone begins to be judged from there, and that's the end of of that part of the story, which leads us then to chapter 21 and 22. In chapter 21, we are introduced to uh, the new heaven and the new earth. So after the 1,000-year reign and after the death of Satan or the defeat of him and after the judgment before the great white throne, now the heaven and earth are, are given, uh, and we see them coming out of heaven, and it's this beautiful thing. God is going to make all things new. Everything that was broken is now going to be fixed, and God sets up his kingdom here on earth once and for all, and cities, which became a source of contention and a source of rebellion against God, are now being redeemed at the end of chapter 21, which leads us to the, really the end of the story. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, we find out that God has created all things. And as God created all things, he also gave us a garden, and in that garden was a river. And in this river was, uh, was life. And this, this river flowed, and it fed the tree of life. And the tree of life was growing, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was growing. Well, in chapter 22, the tree of life is yielding its fruit. And the people who are there are eating of it, and they have everything they need. And so God not only redeems cities, but God actually redeems a garden inside of a city and creates this beautiful new place where humans can dwell with him forever. And that leads us to the end of Revelation. That's it. The idea that God is in control. No matter how bad things get, God is in control, and we need to trust him and walk with him. So here's the few main themes that you see through Revelation that we we picked up over and over again that we really want you to think about when you read Revelation on your own later on. First off, Revelation is all about worship. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the one true God, or are you worshiping the ways of the world in Babylon? Obviously, our suggestion is that you worship God. He's the, the one that's worthy of it, so we give him worth worship. That's what worship means. That's where it comes from. So God is worthy of it. We give him worship. Number two, we need to have fidelity to the text, which means we need to hold to its truth and, and trust that it's honest and that it's right. Jesus says, don't add to this book or take away from the book. The idea there is we are firm. We trust that the word of God is the word of God. So we're going to believe it and trust it and do it, which means we're going to live differently than the rest of the world, which means we're going to act accordingly. We're going to be new creations rather than being beasts. And if we're, you know, staying true the text, if we're following God, it means that we're not going to follow the ways of the world, even if it means our own death, even if it means that we're going to live differently and act differently than the rest of the world to the point where we end up, you know, perishing because of it, or they, they take our life away because of our ridiculous faith, we are going to stand firm. And so that was John's message to the first century believers, saying, stand true, stand tough, follow Jesus, do things his way, don't follow the way of the world. And if you don't do that, if you die, it's, a, you know, if you die, it's okay. God's in charge. And if you choose not to follow God and you choose to avoid death, uh, that's probably not the best way to go. So just be mindful of that. And the last major theme of Revelation that we really want to focus on is the idea that we want Jesus to come soon. The book ends with, come soon, Lord Jesus, come. May we have that prayer. May we live that way in our life. May we choose to walk with him and may we desire his return so badly and so fully that we will live for him in this life as we wait for the next. So that's Revelation in a Nutshell. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did as we preached it. And we'll talk to you next time.